This is the IEEE USA Insight Podcast, Episode 23, a program featuring news, information, and updates from IEEE USA headquarters in Washington, D.C. This month, Victoria Bannon brings you a millennial moment on networking. Chris McMains interviews Dr. Aaron Young, and Georgia Stelluto updates you on ebooks and conferences. And now, the news. Thank you, John, and thank you, listeners, for joining us today. As an undergraduate, Bianca Dada conducted research on the synthesis of quantum dot materials for photovoltaic applications. She is now a student at the MIT Media Lab. Her research includes how to create and transform interactive displays and interfaces, focusing on the human response to material properties. This summer, Bianca will be IEEE USA's Mass Media Fellow. She has been selected to work at NOVA. Bianca earned her bachelor's and master's degrees in material science and engineering from the University of Pennsylvania. She hopes to combine her materials background with an interest in creativity and the humanities to expand the influence of design in a greater societal context. The Mass Media Fellowship Program is run by the American Association for the Advancement of Science. It places advanced science and engineering students in newsrooms across the country. Bianca's job will be to communicate technical information to the public using easy-to-understand language. She says she is excited to get started. Austin, Texas will host the second IEEE USA Future Leaders Forum in July 2018 another innovative and inspirational program geared towards student members and young professionals is being planned. You can view videos of the first Future Leaders Forum from New Orleans by going to futureleaders.ieeeusa/events. Mary Ellen Randall and her team of MOVE volunteers recently celebrated the first year anniversary of the IEEE USA Mobile Outreach Vehicle, MOVE for short. Funded by U.S. IEEE members and the IEEE Foundation, the move truck travels to areas hit hard by natural disaster. Working in conjunction with the Red Cross, MOVE volunteers provide short-term power and communication services. Disaster victims have said how much it means to them to be able to communicate with loved ones following a calamity. MOVE personnel also take the truck to STEM education and home fire prevention events. Last year, MOVE traveled to flooded areas of West Virginia and Louisiana, a part of Florida damaged by hurricane, and assisted in wildfire remediation in Tennessee. Volunteers are gearing up for another busy season. You can follow MOVE's activities on Facebook. I'm Victoria Bannon, and we are back for another round of Millennial Moment. Today, we're going to talk about networking. Networking is something that is a little difficult to understand at first. In some cases, it can seem like making new friends or even dating, although it's actually quite different. Networking is a way of building out your network and making connections that will improve your career. You might think that you don't need to network. After all, the internet makes it easy to research companies and apply for jobs, right? Yes and no. It's easier to apply for jobs but it's no easier to get a job. Some things don't change, and one is that people tend to hire people because of other people. 
In other words, getting a recommendation from a current employee for a job that you want is more effective than having the perfect resume. This is because a current employee is going to know what the employers at their company want. Chances are high that you've already networked. If you've gone to a job fair, belonged to a sorority or a fraternity in college, or have a LinkedIn account, you've probably done some networking already. If you're just starting out networking, look to these people. Social media is a great tool to reach out to them. You can like a status on LinkedIn or comment on an article that they've written. If you're bolder, you can message them directly and ask about having coffee and catching up. If you can, always network in person. It's always best to form a new connection face-to-face rather than over the internet. It's easier to show off your personality and much harder for the other person to ignore you. Go to networking events nearby. You can find a lot of them with just a simple Google search. When you're prepping for these events, it is really important to dress the part. So make sure that you're well-dressed, well-groomed, and put together. Act like it's an interview, because in a way, it actually is. When you're at these events, they can be intimidating, because you don't know anybody and you have no idea what to talk about. My advice would be to talk about some new innovation in your industry that's interesting, or maybe a cool piece of non-political news that you've heard recently. You can even talk about the last movie you saw, as long as it gets you and your target networker chatting. Quick tip. If you're face-to-face with somebody and you really cannot think of anything to say, ask the other person questions. People love to chat about themselves. When you feel the conversation is coming to an end, exchange business cards and make sure to keep in touch. Email them or connect on, on LinkedIn. It's always best to network when you don't need it. There will come a day when you will need to call on your network to get a job and it's best to have an established relationship with the other people in your network in order to get the best possible recommendations. And another quick tip, be sure to return the favor if they ever ask. Now go out there and get networking. In the IEEE USA Insight Spotlight, we bring you close up to a newsmaker or a public figure with a quick one-on-one interview. This month, Chris speaks with Dr. Aaron Young, IEEE USA's 2017 New Face of Engineering Professional Edition honoree. Young directs the Exoskeleton and Prosthetic Intelligent Controls Lab at Georgia Tech in Atlanta. He discusses how his work in biomedical engineering helps people with walking disabilities. Well, Aaron, thank you very much for joining me today. You were our New Face of Engineering Professional Edition. And our committee was very much impressed with the work you're doing on robotic exoskeletons and prostheses, how you work to help people with uh, walking and, and other movement disabilities. How did you get interested in that field? Well, thanks, Chris. Um, so, yeah, I got interested when I was just an undergraduate um, in biomedical engineering at, at Purdue. And... One of the really cool things about um, working with uh, people with walking disability and especially robotic interventions is that you can really see uh, physically the difference in the clinics and in these people's lives when they get to use this technology. So you can really see the difference in terms of gait mechanics, in terms of 
um, what they feel about what they can accomplish and do um, with this technology that that really gets um, I think gives that underlying motivation, especially for me and for um, many of the students that I work with in the in the field. Really like to have that um, that human interaction and and see what the technology really can accomplish for for helping people do these um, you know be able to perform their the tasks of of normal living in a in a better more independent manner than they would be able to otherwise. Yeah, I agree with you. It, it seems like it would be very rewarding. I know a number of IEEE members are working primarily with technologies that ultimately benefit people, but they don't necessarily see it, but you get to see it up close. Yeah, that's right. Um, it, it's really great because um, a major focus of our work is really bringing in patients with, with disability, working with them in the lab, and so they get to try out the newest um, devices that, that we're building and, and test out different um, control systems. And so they get to really see what the next generation of technology is going to be and what it might be able to do for their lives in terms of um, how it enhances. And we get their feedback in terms of what they would like to see, and, and that can really help uh, influence the design too by getting to hear directly from patients what um, they think would be really valuable. Yeah, so you get a lot of good feedback, which helps with the next generation of design. Yeah, absolutely. Um, a, a lot of times, there's there's things that that we wouldn't necessarily, as an engineer, you don't necessarily consider as being something really important in the design. Um, definitely, in terms of uh, comfort and what what a patient might want to do, like whether you know, they, like a lot of times we'll just design to be able to do things like walking and stairs and ramps, things that we expect them to do every day. But um, some people really want to, some people really are, are, care a lot about maybe riding a bicycle or dancing or swimming. And they really want to see the device be able to help them with their favorite activity, whether it's hiking or jogging or, or things that, that are a little bit outside the box of what we might design. That, that can um, really kind of affect in some ways how we think about um, how we want to be able to extend it so that someone can use this throughout their, their daily life. Mm -hmm. uh, interesting. You, you said swimming, and I, I was thinking of uh, electronics and water usually don't mix well together, but you're able to uh, have uh, waterproof devices? Uh, not, not so much. So, so mm -hmm. swimming is, uh, we, so, yeah, exactly. Electronic devices do not, um, do not fare well in, inside, inside water. Um, so there, there are some designs where, where we're, you know, looking at, at fully waterproofing it, but for now, um, we are avoiding sand and water. In the mm -hmm. <laughs> now, I see you, you work with people that have suffered a number of different uh, injuries or debilitating diseases. Uh, what do you tend to see the most of? Is there any one type of um, malady that comes across more than others? Well... Um, I would say, I mean, for, for us, it's, it's really, we do very targeted recruitment. So we, we choose, um, we choose a specific disability, um, that we want to focus on with any given, uh, intervention strategy. Um, so we're not necessarily just, you know, I, I'm not, I'm not a clinician, so I'm not necessarily treating patients or, or seeing people come in on a daily basis. Usually we're working with clinicians. Um, who do see do see these things on a daily basis, and so they refer um, the the various subjects to us for experimental um, 
studies. And so a lot of times we do, though, take some of their, you know, especially the clinician feedback in terms of who they um, who they think might benefit from it um, and and who they see on an everyday basis. So a, a good example, I think, of this is in the exoskeleton work. Um, one of the target populations that we're really interested in and working with with the Emory Stroke Network here is um, patients who have severe walking disability or at least mild disability due to stroke, because that is just so very common here in Atlanta, especially, um, and, and in, in many part places in the South. Mm-hmm. Um, stroke is such a big disability that, that it's one that we're really interested in looking at how um, especially robotic devices can intervene and help restore mobility. So an, an exoskeleton, that, that's kind of a, an outer type of skeleton replacing the framework, the uh, muscles, and the bones that are not working properly on somebody? Yeah, that's right. So as opposed to a prosthesis that really works in series with the leg, you know, as a replacement device, an exoskeleton you can think of as an add-on device. So this means that the, the patient in this case still has intact legs. They likely have reduced functionality due to some sort of either neurological disability um, or other type of injury that prevents them from having full independent walking. And what we're really looking at doing is trying to get someone from being maybe very partial um, ambulatory, so maybe only being able to kind of move around a bit in their own home, um, to really being able to have full community ambulation and be able to go outside and uh, do different tasks. So ideally they would, you know, maybe wear these exoskeletons for a set amount of time during rehabilitation. And, and depending on the disease condition, they may be able to eventually get rid of the exoskeleton and, and be fully restored um, by helping them walk on a daily basis. So that's kind of the, the broader goal of, of these exoskeleton devices. Mm-hmm. Now, I think it's also interesting, a lot of people on the outside of, of IEEE and, and maybe even within IEEE probably don't realize that one of our fastest growing areas is in biomedical engineering. And uh, would you talk a little bit about that? How, how you, did you study that at Purdue? Yeah, yeah. So I, um, I definitely studied uh, um, biomedical engineering both at Purdue um, and Northwestern. And so it's definitely a a growing field. And a lot of times people um, in biomedical engineering think more about um, tissue engineering and um, cellular type thing type applications. Um, and that's very common in, in biomedical engineering. But another area is in, in more the, the macro side of, of human biomechanics and really understanding the, the human body at a, a, a larger macro scale and then how we can use devices, um, medical devices, to really make a, a difference in um, patient populations. Um, so, yeah, I... Uh, it's definitely a a big upgrowing field. There's a lot of new biomedical engineering programs, um, and it really combines, it's kind of a multidisciplinary field because it's focused on on medicine, but um, there's a lot of different parts to it. So a lot of times there's there's, um, parts of mechanical engineering, electrical engineering, often in, in biomed, chemical engineering as well, that all kind of combine to make this multidisciplinary field. And so to really be an effective biomedical engineer, you really need to have some pretty decent skills, both on the biology side, as well as the mechanical and electrical engineering um, side. And that's kind of, in my lab, you definitely see that um, at Georgia Tech in that we work with mechanical, electrical, biomed, 
um, engineers as well as physiologists and clinicians um, all working together to, to solve uh, larger engineering problems. And this is kind of many, many areas in the field are, are going in this direction of this multidisciplinary approach to, to actually solve big problems like this. Mm-hmm. And it seems like a, a nice confluence of uh, disciplines all coming together, which of course is primarily what engineering nowadays is. There's there's uh, engineering teams and, and everybody working together. And here you're working with scientists and physicians and other healthcare professionals. Now, yeah, what about right. the? Oh, go ahead. Oh no, I, I was just going to just add on that. Yeah, it really it really is teamwork. Nobody can do every part of this. Um, so we need people that really do the device design. We need people to do the software, um, the controllers, and then um, clinicians that can help interact and, and teach the patients how to, you know, physical therapists, how to use the devices and, and how, to, um, how to walk with them. So it really takes a, a big team effort to actually make this type of technology successful. Now, in your role at Georgia Tech, you're you're also you're you're an assistant professor in mechanical engineering, so you are teaching a next generation of biomedical engineers. Is that correct? Yeah. So so now um, I'm um, I'm uh, my primary point is in medical mechanical engineering, but I, I have an adjunct appointment in biomedical engineering, um, and I I'm very I really love working with the students. Um, I have. It, uh, we have lots and lots of undergrads who love working in this, and, it, and it's great to work with them. So we have 10 to 15 undergraduates um, that, that work in the lab in any given semester um, working on some of these these projects, and they get very, very excited and love to show off the robots and, and get to see kind of what the, the cutting-edge research that the, the graduate students and others in the, um, in the lab are really doing with these devices. And I see you're also working with Atlanta area middle schoolers, helping them to learn about biomedical engineering. Could you tell me about the, uh, you have a, a prosthetic arm built for a fictional child? Yeah, so, so we've ran this, um, so, so uh, we've ran this program um, called Get a Grip. And so I, I've only been in Atlanta for a year, though we have started um, doing some of these things in Atlanta a lot of this came out of uh, work that I did in Chicago, um, leading a, a team um, that where we would go to middle schools um, and and basically have uh, the the students do a, a design project where they had to take just maybe um, fifty dollars of mm-hmm. different household materials and put it together essentially and create a, a prosthetic arm. And so this was a, is a really cool way in which um, kids can get really involved in this. So they would just put together these devices and then and then compete and and have to um, do kind of tasks that that a third world um, kid who lost an arm would have to do, like eat food mm-hmm. or drink a bucket of water. And so they would do these different tasks and be um, um, and be timed on it and see, you know, can they can they do it with the device that they put together? And so this makes them kind of think about an engineering problem, put together various things, um, various components, and and actually um, kind of create a biomedical uh, final output, which I think is really fun for the students to, to have to think about this and gets them a lot more excited about engineering as they get to hear lessons that kind of relate very strongly to what they're doing. Um, about, divide, about design and forces and torques and thing, things of this nature. 
Yeah, definitely. And uh, as as we found out, we we've got to get kids uh, in middle school and even younger. Uh, if we're going to try to get them into engineering, got to start young. Usually by high school, it's a it's a little too late. So, Aaron, thank you very much for your time today. You certainly are an excellent ambassador for the New Faces of Engineering program, and and we're we're very proud of you that you are an IEEE member. You are certainly helping to shape the future and improve lives for people. And uh, I appreciate your time, and I hope we can uh, get get together and speak again sometime. Thanks so much, Chris. That's great. Okay. Thank you, Aaron. And now here are some updates for IEEE USA eBooks and the IEEE USA conference calendar. IEEE members can download the following eBooks now for free. IEEE USA's new audio eBook, Staying Sharp Volume 1, Tips for Staying Sharp Inside Your Company, is free for a limited time only. So go to shop.ieeeusa.org for the download link and go ahead and plug in your headphones and listen to this first-of-its-kind audio eBook from IEEE USA. Until May 15th, you can download free Developing Your People, Common Sense Leadership in the Workplace, Volume 1, Key Skills Employees Will Need. Go to shop.ieeeusa.org, log in with your IEEE web account, add the book to your cart, and use promo code APRFREE17 at checkout. From May 1st through June 15th, IEEE members can download free Staying Sharp, Volume 2, Tips for Staying Sharp Outside Your Company. Go to shop.ieeeusa.org, log in with your IEEE web account, add the book to your cart, and use promo code MAYFREE17, M-A-Y-F-R-E-E-17, at checkout. Go to shop.ieeeusa.org to download all three of your free IEEE USA eBooks today. And be the first to nab the new IEEE USA eBook, Secrets to Becoming a World Changer, Part 1, The Being of Leadership. This new eBook is only $2.99 for members. Go to shop.ieeeusa.org to get it today. And looking at the IEEE USA conference calendar, be sure to schedule in the IEEE's 44th Photovoltaic Specialist Conference in Washington, D.C. on the 25th through 30th of June. Also try to make it to the IEEE Power and Energy Society General Meeting on the 16th through 20th of July in Chicago. And don't forget to plan ahead for the IEEE Sections Congress 2017 on the 11th through 13th of August in Sydney, Australia. For more information on upcoming conferences and to register, go to IEEEUSA.org slash conferences. Don't miss these great opportunities. I'm Georgia Stelludo for IEEE USA. Members who recently completed the IEEE USA Salary and Benefits Survey will be entitled to five free uses of the IEEE USA Salary Calculator. This online tool helps you gauge your salary range and benchmarks it against members working in similar professions and areas of the country. If you didn't take the survey, you can still purchase a subscription. In addition to the overall salary and benefits survey results, We have also generated special reports geared towards specific subsections of members. The Future Leaders Report summarizes salary data for IEEE members 29 and younger. In addition, summaries are available on those working in power and energy, computers, and systems and control. We also have a report of salaries and benefits for women. For more information on these reports and the salary calculator, 
go to the IEEE USA salary service at IEEEUSA.org backslash careers backslash salary. That's all for today's podcast. I'm Chris McMains in beautiful Washington, D.C. Wherever you are, I hope you and your family are having a wonderful day. This has been the IEEE USA Insight Podcast. Join us again next month as we take a look at news, information, and updates from IEEE USA. If you have feedback you'd like to share, please connect with us by commenting on our IEEE USA Insight article. Send us email at insightpodcast at IEEEUSA.org. Visit Facebook at facebook.com slash IEEEUSA or Twitter at IEEEUSA. I'm John Yuglinski. Thanks for tuning in. 